0: Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Connery, coming to you from the dialed studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. In this episode, we wrap up our three-part series on product safety with Vermont Cannabis Control Board Compliance Director, Carrie Jaguar. We're closing in on the one year anniversary of the opening of Vermont's regulated market, and it has been a huge learning curve for operators and regulators alike. We asked Kerry how his compliance team has evolved over this time, what they are currently focused on, and what keeps them up at night. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is season three of the High Fidelity podcast and part three of our three-part series on product safety with CCB Compliance Director, Carrie Jagir. If you've not already, please like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your friends and family. By doing so, you help our show gain a wider audience and compete in a crowded field of podcasts. While you're at it, sign up for our newsletter at hifivt.com. That's H-I-F-I-V-T dot Our newsletter will start blasting next month, and we'll keep you up to date on what's on air, what's in store, and what's happening in our neck of the woods. As always, thanks for being here with us. We love your company. Okay. Today, we're wrapping up our three-part conversation with Carriage Gear. In Part 1, Episode 9, we focused on Vermont's lab testing requirements. In part two, episode 15, we covered Vermont's first consumer protection warning, the four broad categories of compliance that Kerry's team oversees, and the CCB's budget request to create an internal reference lab to monitor both registered products and the licensed cannabis analytical labs in Vermont. In our final chapter, we spoke with Kerry about how his team has evolved in this first year of operation and what their current priorities are. Education is top of mind, and it sounds like it's taken up a lot of time, both for his team and the license operators they work with. Kerry provided an overview of the compliance issues and investigations that are trending in the market and gave us an update on the inventory tracking system. The full functionality of this system will be essential for monitoring both inversion and diversion of products into and out of the legal marketplace. These are issues that are experienced in every regulated state, and preventing this type of activity is a key component of public safety. Finally, we touched on some of the proposed rule changes that the CCB is looking to formalize. Public comment on these proposals have been pretty heated so far, because if implemented, they will greatly impact the types of products that will be available in the Vermont market, and in some cases, force manufacturers to completely overhaul their product lines. All right, that's the summary. Now let's dive into the conversation for all the details. Carrie Tagheer, welcome back to the High Fidelity Podcast. This is your third time with us. We really appreciate your time because we know that you're super busy. So welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. No, it's always, it's always nice to get in touch with you, Bridget. It's always great to connect.
0: Thanks. I feel the same. So you're nine months in now of a new marketplace. And obviously there's been a a huge learning curve as there is in every state. How are you doing? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I sat in on the (laughs) CCB meeting on Monday. It was a long one. I think it was the longest one so far because you guys were going over or the board was going over some possible rule changes, which we'll get into a little bit. But, you know, when when Bryn went through the numbers, you guys are up to 475 licensed operators, you know, like, 56% of those are tier one cultivators. And she mentioned that you guys, you know, your team is like still at six people. I think six was the number that you had last time. Yes.
1: Yep. Yep. We're going on almost six months with a full set of six compliance agents in the field. We started with four uh, last July and brought uh, two more on early this year. We're up to, up to six. And I think, you know, depending on how large the market grows, I think we're going to hover at six for a while.
0: Hmm. You know, that's interesting because it just from my perspective, which I don't have yours at all, it doesn't seem like a lot of people to be doing all the things that you do. You know, can mm-hmm. you just give us a quick overview? What are the things that your team focuses on because compliance touches a lot of pieces (laughs)
1: yeah compliance touches a lot of pieces but it's the compliance assistance that really takes the time and that's not necessarily teaching people how to interact with the crop or their product it's sort of teaching people how to use inventory tracking how to appropriately sort of all the details of product registration, what a passing COA looks like, how do you sample your product, what's an appropriate sort of representative sample when your products go to the lab. It's all those other pieces that are really taking up a lot of time. As it sort of breaks out, we do have six, and they have about a 100 Hundred licensees basically per territory. It's not exactly a hundred across the board, but everybody's got about a hundred licensees that they're responsible for.
0: Oh, and so they're they're cross trained on all of the things. It's not like you've got one agent or one team member who's focused on manufacturing or right, one that's got a
1: you have Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. But we do have expertise in certain areas and they will help each other out with inspections. But basically we decided it was best to break it up uh, geographically. So each territory is broken down where each each person's got about 100
0: licensees. Got it. And so they're looking at, you know, depending on where they're going, obviously they're, they're going to a cultivation site. Well, kind of bring us through if you would, you know, mm-hmm. briefly. Like what does a typical inspection look like oh, for whether wow. it's a cultivation or retail or pick yeah. one and just kind of like what are what are they going in there looking for?
1: <laughs> That's so open-ended. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: too big of a question. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: so each inspection is tailored towards not only the tier size, but the license type. And our initial inspections are different than sort of a standard inspection, which is different than an investigation, which is also different than sort of the renewal inspection. Mm -hmm. So as renewals come up, there's certain sort of environmental factors, sort of the energy efficiency piece to the renewal. So that's also sort of added to an inspection, but sort of just to walk through, A cultivation inspection, not an initial, not a renewal. We're looking to make sure basically that all the security requirements are there, that they're sized appropriately for their tier, that their employees, if they have any, have been trained. We're looking at what's in their pesticide closet. We're looking to make sure that security not only just exists outdoors, but also in the drying space.
0: And so are your agents working like a Monday through Friday, like eight to four schedule, or can they oh, show up uh, at no. any time?
1: Yeah, they're working in the summer. It's we've sort of allowed them a flexible schedule, so if they work, if they're done with forty hours by Thursday, they're 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 going to put some time in Friday because that's the day we sit down and huddle and debrief the week. But they're long long days for some of these folks, especially depending on the size of the territory and how long they're on the road. yeah. When they do have a field day, it could be up to three or four visits per day, and each one takes a few hours.
0: Right, right. Well, that just seems like a lot for me. I mean, do you, in terms of like the size of your team Mm -hmm. and the amount of licensees you have to oversee, and that number keeps going up because Vermont Mm -hmm. hasn't put any limits on it. It seems like in the meeting this week that new applications for licenses went down a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think it's just probably because you just had that rush of people who wanted to get in before the deadline for this year's mm-hmm. outdoor grow. But So it's going to continue to grow. I mean, do you do you talk to, like, your counterparts in other states and get a sense of, like, what the, the ideal ratio is <laughs> for field agents to licensees? And, you know, do you feel like, you, know, you said at the beginning here that you feel like you're going to be at six for a while, so... Is that because you guys don't have the budget because you have to ask for money? Or like ideally, like how many people would you want?
1: Yeah, so it's. I think we'll stay at six for a little bit because we still don't know what the workload is going to be once we've got our sort of database built and once folks know how to interact with inventory tracking and and interact with product registration. A lot of the work right now is sort of, walking folks through the guidance in hand-holding, if you will, on how to interact with inventory tracking. All the new systems are currently coming online. So once the sort of burden of instructing licensees on how to interact with the systems that we're building diminishes, I don't know what the appropriate level of staffing is. In other states, they're sort of all the markets are different and the priorities are different. A lot of other states have less of a consumer protection focus than we do here in Vermont. So the job is different. They're basically looking just for diversion and plant tracking to make sure that uh, nobody's sort of violating those laws. You know, the Other states that use metric with their radio frequency tags, a lot of their violations are basically inventory tracking violations. And that's not where we chose to focus. So I have talked with other states, but the jobs are drastically different.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the areas that I want to focus on is that that inversion and diversion piece, that part of compliance, because we haven't talked a lot about that. But before we get there, just wondering, like, okay, so there's a lot of education going on. Everybody's, you're training the licensees on, on what the rules are and how to follow them, as well as doing those inspections and investigations. What are the things that you're finding, and, and are the investigations happening primarily based on the inspections, or is it a combination of that plus people reporting, whether it's about advertising or, <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. What, do you, what are you finding, and how is it bubbling up?
1: Well, I would suggest that the licensees are our biggest asset in keeping the other licensees in check. And we receive about 40 complaints from our online form a month. And our sort of big enforcement actions have been split about 50-50 between things our field agents have discovered in the field, and tips, if you will, that have come in from the online reporting form.
0: Hmm. And you found that most of those tips that come in are qualified leads. It's not just competitors trying to trip each other up. It's real.
1: I can't give you a percentage, but I will say that Everything that comes in, we do follow up on, and some of them are that, just fluff that's not, they're unfounded allegations uh, that we can't prove. Some are concerns that other licensees are having about what looks like inequities in the market, and we do follow up there. And sometimes there's something there, and sometimes there's not. It really depends. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, do you see any trends in what the violations tend to be right now, or is it kind of all over the place?
1: They are all over the place. We do have a lot of folks, you know, once we've sent out a letter, a warning to a licensee about their advertising, they become very well versed in the advertising rules. And as the legislature has sort of saddled us with some of the most restrictive advertising rules in the country, and so the folks that have received letters of warning make us aware of the folks that are stepping outside of the bounds of those advertising rules. Yeah, There's a lot of activity there. Yeah, um,
0: Have you guys, I mean, I know this is not your job, but is the CCB advocating for loosening of the advertising rules? It just seems like if the goal is to bring the illicit market, you know, both the operators and the consumers into the legal market. <laughs> the legal market needs to be advertising to draw those people in. We're going to see any ease of that, I, you know, in the next legislative session? And we're just saddled with this restrictive advertising for a while, because it doesn't seem like a good use of your compliance team's time and energy either.
1: You know, All I'm sort of willing to add for comment on this is it would certainly free up compliance agents time and as well as general counsel and everybody involved with compliance it would free up time if yeah. some of those more restrictive rules went away right now we do have to enforce what's on the books yep. and it isn't making anybody happy and yeah. it would certainly make our lives and jobs a lot easier those rules were slightly less restrictive.
0: Right. All right. Well, the public's got to talk to their representatives. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> and have them move the needle there. All right. So mm-hmm. let's get to the difference that you were talking about in terms of like some states are focused more mm-hmm. on the inventory tracking. Mm-hmm. Vermont decided to create its own inventory tracking system. We don't have metric. And I don't think it's fully operational yet. Where, where are we with that mm-hmm. system being used? Yeah, it
1: changes every day. Um, The cultivation side is completely up and running. The cultivators have helped us identify some things that would make it easier for them. And those suggestions are moving through the pipeline to become live. Um, Can can you give us an example? It's minutiae. It would be better if this field was here okay, on this gotcha. form instead of at the end. Sort of, um, we're adding help text around some of the fields and moving things around. Um, for instance, when you were reporting a process law as a cultivator or a harvest lot you would report one type of material at a time and then click to the end you would have to go back to the beginning to report your weight of flour and then you would start over to report your yeah. way to trim we put all of those weights on one page that's sort of that's what i mean by minutia. Gotcha. we're just shuffling where things are on the form and how some of the flow look, works and What licensees see when they click on an inventory tracking report number, they've let us know that it would be helpful to see this, 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 and this. And so we're making those sorts of changes. Got
0: it. So the cultivation unit outside of these kind of minutiae edits is operating right now. And so, so that means that you're able to see, too, all of the all of the biomass that they're coming into market. So it's a way that you can understand whether, like how they're performing, mm-hmm. you know, if, if yep. too much product yeah. is coming out of the canopy size that they've been licensed for. I know we talked about this, I think maybe in the first episode we did together, that you worked with a consulting team mm-hmm. to create a model of expectation for like square footage of canopy to to output are you starting to be able to apply some of that now that the cultivation piece is done in the tracking system
1: so as when you're building any sort of computer or database system all the moving pieces are about to coalesce we are sending data to the to ncs which is which performs the analytics on our data. data. They're able to receive it electronically, they're able to manipulate that data and perform analytics. But at the same time only cultivation is live. Not live, but only cultivation is collecting data in Salesforce at this point. Um, The other piece of the inventory tracking that is live is both the transfer and acquisition forms. The manufacturing forms are live, but they're manual. And just today, we we were testing, before I jumped on with you, we were testing the API, which is sort of an automated way to get Dutchies sales Data into our system.
0: Oh, excellent.
1: And so, and we have five other vendors, point of sale retail vendors that are also interested in hooking to that API. Out of our sort of 50 or so retail establishments, right. I think 42 are using Dutchie. So that will be live in the next week or two. We'll be collecting all the sales data through an automated system. And that will also be going to sort of NCS to perform analytics on. And that takes out the human factor and makes it easier for retailers to reporting. So we'll be getting that retail sales data on a daily basis. Wow. That's Um, exciting. Transfer and acquisition forms will be happening as they happen. Um, That's sort of real time as well. But, Like I said, the analytics are being performed currently on cultivation information, but we don't have any harvest data yet because that just went live. Um, As soon as we get harvest data, we'll we'll be able to perform those analytics, but the retail side and the transfer side, in the next couple weeks, we will be sort of fully live with the API. We've pushed sort of, the other point of sale systems off in, until after July 4th just to just to make sure the bulk of these the folks using Dutchy will will be live operational and working
0: so that's good news because you're going to be able to start to have those well one for the public or for people who are in the industry mm-hmm. we're closer to being able to have some figures of like what's actually selling in the market, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know um, yeah. and uh, as a compliance team, you'll be able to start to understand um that hey the the products that are being made line up to what's being sold yeah. too so again, that kind of inversion diversion um topic, and so you know one of the reasons why I want to bring it up is just because it's a topic that's I mean, if you're in the industry, it's been a topic of concern, obviously since for day one but it's mm-hmm. really, I feel like it's really out in the open right now. I mean, we just had the big glass house um, lawsuit that was brought from one operator against Glasshouse, and Glasshouse is one of the largest growers out in California, and they were just accused of diverting a lot of product into the illicit market in order to support their legal um yeah. marketplace and Uh, You know, we talked to Martin Lee recently, and he was talking about that, about how the illicit market, like, is two times the size of the legal market, and just all the things that you and I know, like, just the added costs of operating in a legal market make it really hard for a company to survive, whether it's the cost of regulations, the taxes... The, you know taxes both in terms of the taxes like the sales tax that keep customers out but also the tax burden <laughs> that uh, yeah. that cannabis companies have to pay and not being able to write off certain expenses things like that um, it just makes it really hard and so a lot of um, both legacy operators and I guess non legacy operators they get tempted back into the illicit market so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about diversion like product mm-hmm. that is grown or produced in the legal market but diverted into the illicit market. And sometimes it works the other way. Inversion is one product that is grown or produced in the illicit market makes its way into the legal market. And so, you know, I know it's probably hard to tell when, since we're still in the beginning stages of this, this inventory tracking system, but you have to be thinking that it's mm-hmm. got to be happening here.
1: So, you know, I could be wrong here, but what it's feeling like is it's not diversion that we need to worry about at all. Uh, we need to protect our retail market from inversion. Yes. Um, Whether that's cheap biomass from out of state or product that's grown here in the state without a license that folks are trying that you just sort of suggested that the illicit market is twice the size of the regulated market.
0: Well, in California, yeah.
1: California, yeah. But I think here in Vermont, like the price is better in the regulated market for flour than it is in the illicit market. So folks are trying to move flour into the regulated market, whether that's from out-of-state or stuff that was grown here without a license. And we've done multiple sort of investigations of inversion here in the state. That's one of the things that our licensees are very aware of and looking for. And if there's any sort of sense of it, we are being notified.
0: Yeah. How would you know? Because you have the product registration process that people have to go through. And so as a retailer, you're required to verify that the product that is being Sold to you or trying to be sold to you is registered
1: we're looking at sort of terpene profiles of things that we know were grown here and similar strains or the same strain that there's allegations that weren't grown here
0: it can get down um, to that level. you can yeah. actually track something down by the terpenes because
1: yeah yeah how, how do you, actually, why
0: is that because there's a lot of outdoor and we're this are Yes. Plants that are growing here tend to have different terpene profiles because of the environment. Yep. Wow, that's really interesting.
1: So that's one of the things we're looking at. Um, You know, I did, I have had conversations with a company called Eurofins and what they do for olive oil, wine, and maple syrup, and sort of orange juice, other products with terroir they can You know, they can distinguish where in France a wine was grown Mm. using NMR, which is nuclear magnetic resonance. It sort of leaves an imprint um, on a product Mm. and they're good within sort of a 30 mile radius for some of the California wines as well. Um, That. Technology doesn't yet exist for cannabis, but they're very interested in developing it. That's cool. Yeah, and I think we're years out from having that technology, but the fact that we are hearing folks interested in diversion, inversion, or where something was grown, and essentially developing that sort of terroir market, um, I think is pretty neat. Um, yeah,
0: what a cool place for Vermont to lead too. If yeah. you could
1: uh, yeah develop that. Now, it's,
0: would that be something that your new lab? I mean, you got your lab, right? Last <laughs> yeah. time we were talking. Yeah. So you're also probably trying to get that up off the ground and hiring people to do that. That would be something that that lab would do. Have the facility?
1: To <laughs> not do. quite yet.
0: No. 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 Not, not yet. quite yet. You yeah. said years out, but that would yeah. be a hope.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh it, that's a wish list item.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a owning and operating sort of that NMR instrumentation is might be above and beyond what the state's willing to bite off.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but at a per sample rate it's not very expensive. Um, mm-hmm. we did send honey samples off to be analyzed to make sure it was remote honey. Um, when I was over at the agency of agriculture and we were able to detect that, you know, some of that honey was not Vermont honey. Um, but it wasn't that it was honey from somewhere else. It was honey that had, uh, you know, the bees feeding on corn sugar. There was other sugars, invert sugars in the honey. Mm -hmm. Um, so the technology does exist and it's not a lot on a per sample basis, um, if we were, if we were able to get a, you know, company willing to do that for us, um, that would be basically great. what I'm saying is I, I, we're, I, I don't think I would still be working for the state by the time we're willing to go in that direction. <laughs> <Yes.
0: laughs> cool. All right. We'll be right back after a short break. there it's me again with a friendly reminder to follow our lovely little show wherever you listen to podcasts if you're really digging what you hear like the show review it and share it with your friends we'd really appreciate it take care and thanks for listening Well, let's pivot a little bit. There's a couple of some rule changes, and I guess this is, you know, part of it has to do with inversion or diversion here too. It's about inventory. Recently, the CCB passed an emergency rule, the hemp products. Yeah. Uh, And that has been challenging for people. Um, Can you kind of just review some of the the highlights of that and and why not put this rule in place?
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, Basically, the takeaway is if you're making a therapeutic CBD product, you're largely operating outside of the rule. Um, If you're trying to use what you perceive as a 2018 Farm Bill loophole to bring intoxicants into a market, that loophole is basically closed.
0: In Vermont. In Vermont, yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about... well, we're talking about the Delta-8 products and the
1: Yeah, Delta-8, Delta-10, THCO. Delta THCO, all those sort of chemically derived isomers um, of THC that are in, intoxicating or do have a significant psychoactive effect, that we've sort of pushed those into the regulated market.
0: So does that mean that, a producer here could continue to make those. They would just have to sell their products through the licensed marketplace. Yes. Yep. Could they could they sell them online to the rest of the country?
1: It would vary state by state.
0: Um, it would right, vary because each state has their state. own right. But Vermont wouldn't prevent manufacturers from selling into states that allow it.
1: Correct. Correct. But there is a significant amount of hemp derived delta nine THC um, that is being produced and
0: in Vermont. In Vermont,
1: yeah. And one of the interpretations um of sort of hemp lawyers nationally is if your product that you produce is below 03 percent, then it's legal to sell anywhere, no matter if it's delta nine THC or not. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't agree with that. We've never sort of agreed with that because that point three is is only talking about the plant,
0: right? Um,
1: and it isn't talking about products. So they're, I don't like a gummy believe a that interpretation was ever meant to be on a gummy. Exactly. Um, and we do have multiple products currently registered that are hemp derived Delta 9. And those products are in our retail, our licensed retail space. Oh, no kidding. That's yeah.
0: interesting. And so they just have had to go through the same product registration process that. Any yeah. cannabis license does, and that goes in yeah. there. huh? I mean, how many companies in Vermont do you think that this new bill is going to affect? It depends on what their
1: products were, what the products they were manufacturing were. Um, it really, the old Monarch and milkweed products that were around a few years ago, they're no longer being manufactured, but those products would have fallen in the category of needing to be in the regulated market. Um, Other sort of your capsules and tinctures pretty much fall outside, but, you know, I walked through an evening session and one of the manufacturers in the state, the majority of their products are considered CBD, but they had a CBD plus THC tincture which sort of pushed them outside of the normal ratio of CBD to THC that you see in hemp. So if you weren't adding THC, you weren't shifting the natural ratio of your extract or making a dosage that was 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 milligrams of CBD and more than a milligram and half of THC, if you were trying to make a product that was meant to ha- pack a THC punch, it probably would will be affected. If you weren't, then you probably won't.
0: Right. And so I guess the main takeaway here is, is that you're actually not saying that people can't continue to make these products. They just have to um, put them into the regulated cannabis marketplace if they're over the thresholds of this new yes. emergency rule. Yep. And so does that apply to hemp products that are coming in from out of state? It does. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Okay. Um, we had some sort of seltzers, if you will, that had uh, five milligrams of THC per can and mm. 10 milligrams of CBD. So it was a two to one ratio. It was, you know, basically above, one point five milligrams of THC per serving, and we told those that company to stop shipping their product to Vermont.
0: Got it. You know that's interesting because we were at a conference in New York. I think I guess it was just last month in May, and there were a couple beverage companies there that were talking about how they ship into states. You know, and their product was like four, um, four milligrams of THC to. Two milligrams of CBD or vice versa. And I'm like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and it's because it was that gray area where it was hemp derived. You know, yeah. and I think a lot of people realize that that window is probably closing. I mean, I don't think the DEA is too happy about how that gray area has been abused. Um, yeah. as you were saying, we may have some federal uh, changes coming down the pipeline here fairly soon.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so um, so interesting. All right. Well, we mm-hmm. don't have a ton of time left, yeah. but go ahead. What you right. want to say.
1: I just wanted to say on that note, like FDA has been sending smoke signals that they're going to pull the sort of rug out from underneath the CBD market. They've said um, repeatedly that these aren't nutritional supplements. They're not dietary supplements. They They shouldn't be marketed or sold that way. And they've kicked the can to Congress and said these aren't, our products you need to do something else and if that rug does get pulled sort of what we set up in the emergency rule is a way for those products to be easily slid into the regulated market if fda does pull the rug out from underneath them for for sort of general purpose sale
0: nice so we're planning ahead Mm. Trying to, <laughs> you're we trying to. Yes, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. No. That's one thing in the cannabis space. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's move on to to the um, update to Rule two point two point four. That's getting a lot of attention right now, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it hits on my favorite topic, which is why the heck is the Department of Health not involved with? Mm-hmm. Uh, food products and edible products and beverages in the state of Vermont. But just give us a quick rundown on on why these changes are being proposed.
1: Oh, well, basically because, you know, what what we started this um talk covering was all of the things that our compliance agents are doing in the field. And while we have sort of the bandwidth to do rudimentary sort of kitchen inspection stuff. Um, it's, it becomes a whole lot more complicated when you're talking about products that we, that need to be screened for botulism mm-hmm. like based on pH or, or products with a shelf life for those food safety reasons. It becomes a whole lot more difficult. Um, we can do basic sanitation practices, but our, the requirements for that we have for manufacturers um, don't necessarily meet the requirements that you would need for a commercial kitchen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and our sort of tiers are based on what what you're allowed to do in that space, and we don't have it broken out by products that you can produce. And I think if we were to sort of allow those products, we would have to approve a manufacturing license product by product or type of product by type of product.
0: Okay. What what kind of products are we talking about here? We're talking about products that, have, that are sensitive to time and temperature.
1: Yeah. Right? But Primarily. Our manufacturing tiers are basically set up As at this level, you can use these tools to extract. At this level, you can use these tools to extract. And it's based on the the hazards that you would encounter around different types of extraction and not necessarily that you can produce beef jerky versus ice Ice cream cream. versus (laughs) barbecue sauce versus gummies. Like gummies are pretty much the easiest. Yeah. Um, if you've got three base sinks and sanitizers and hard non-porous surfaces you can sort of get away with producing gummies but yeah
0: yeah they're a shelf stable product all that yeah. stuff and so
1: but barbecue sauce we, we I none of my sort of field agents have a pH meter if the pH is above 5.6 and you've canned it incorrectly we're dealing with botulism
0: exactly and
1: yeah. That's a territory that requires more expertise than we have. Um, You know, one of the other loopholes we're closing in the rule is we currently have no way to prevent um, tier three manufacturers being home occupancy businesses. So our intent when we did all this was never to have hydrocarbon extraction happening in somebody's home. Yeah. But the way that's set up, as a home manufacturer, you're outside of the purview of fire safety, right, and we don't also don't have the expertise to make sure all the codes are met if somebody's outside of fire safety. So the rule is also sort of speaks to that that maybe we shouldn't have home occupancy businesses being tier three manufacturers. Doing hydrocarbon or even CO2 extraction in a home would be, yeah, beyond I think what we want to see. Yeah,
0: I mean um, the home that, occupancy thing is pretty unique to Vermont to begin yes, with, right? Yeah. I mean I don't know if any state has. It's always been a slight concern for me. I mean, again, I'd like the market to be as accessible as possible, and I think that's what yeah. the intention was here, um, but you know, as somebody who's run commercial kitchens for a lot of my life, like it, mm-hmm. I understand what goes into trying to keep a clean space that's run to like health department um, yeah. safety code, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I did see that the latest law was H270 or whatever it is, I lose track of the numbers. Um, the home occupancy for um, manufacturers at tier one yeah. they used to have a limit on them of like ten thousand dollars of yeah, gross yeah, yeah. Um, revenue which is so small like yeah. you know I, I did the math on that and it was like basically if you're selling a product that's like40 dollars MSRP and you're selling it for half of that that's really only having the ability to sell 500 units into the market over a year yeah. <laughs> you know I mean that's yeah. not even worth it you know um, so it just got bumped up to fifty thousand I think right mm-hmm. I haven't looked at the health department rules and regulations in a long time in terms of when they get involved. But I remember when I looked a few years back, it was like, they don't even start looking at a home-based, like, food business until it reach, reaches, I think it used to be, like, $30,000 of revenue. Sure, yep. um And so now this $50,000 puts it over that, you know? And so I just feel like there's a lot of reasons why the health department should be involved, you know? As you said, yeah. it's not the expertise that you have. And this part about time and temperature... Also affects the retailer, you know, because it would require the retailer to have a refrigerator or a freezer, depending on the products that aren't shelf stable. And the health departments, you know, that requires having the inspections and make sure that that equipment is operating at the right temperatures. And the health department is not going to come in and do that. They said they won't, you know, and so that's I think that also is kind of what this conversation is about here, too. Right. Yep. Um. So all right last thing cuz we're 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 right up against it right now um 2.2.4 also talks about uh the, the types of additives that are going to be allowed in cannabis infused products uh, I think the language Specifically, it was like, I uh, cannot produce any product that includes a nutritional supplement, a drug product, or additive that may prov- provoke drug interactions, undermine shelf stability, or suggest curative effects. Mm-hmm. That seems like it's capturing a lot of things. Um, in the CCB meeting, they were mentioning melatonin. I'm sure it probably also includes caffeine, but where does that put things like l-theanine and like herbs like tulsi or you know adaptogenic functional mushrooms that people are really interested in you see in a lot of products now you know whether it's lion's mane or reishi mushroom Mm -hmm. are those not going to be allowed anymore under this rule
1: i think we need to have more sort of internal conversations um the original concern basically was focused on melatonin and the fact that when it's a nutritional supplement or marketed that way, um, the dose is controlled, right? FDA sort of controls the dose and we don't have any authority to control the dose of of ingredients that we don't regulate. right? So I guess, well, does the,
0: does the FDA do they don't dose things like uh, ashwagandha. Right. I mean, there, I think that there are um, uh, there's research out there that has shown that there are certain like milligram levels of like effectiveness for some of these ingredients, which is Mm -hmm. still, you know, (laughs)
1: I mean, everybody's body's different,
0: but, you know, but I mean, I think that there's a lot of things in the industry right now that are showing up where these things are just being put in products because they're trendy right now, you know, um, and they may not be at levels that are really effective, but they're kind of pushing products in a certain direction. Yeah. Um, so would it be maybe that you can include those things, but you can't say that it's going to do anything specific.
1: It is a conversation that's being had and I don't want to, say anything that causes somebody to react negatively to a rule that's only proposed right i'm gonna say we do have products gummies with reishi gummies with the cordyceps mushroom Mm -hmm. and a few other mushroom extract in the gummies we have registered those it's just the sort of the ones that seem more like other drugs added to the products and not sort of the nutritional supplement side um, are the ones that did cause concern.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a big advocate as an herbalist that we Mm -hmm. allow these kinds of things to come in as long as they're done responsibly, you know, without making claims and things like that, because my goal is always, you know, Cannabis was not only prohibited by law, but when, when that happened, it separated it from all the other herbs. And yeah. I believe they all need to go together, <laughs> you know. No, I'm, uh, I'm with it. I'm, um, I'm
1: completely um, with you there. Um, you know, I know you were in, intimate with some of the Mary's medicinal recipes um, when you were in that space. And uh, some of those products and some of the things they combined I, are amazing together.
0: Yeah. All right, last two questions, and we're going to let you go because I know we're right. busy. So, what keeps you up at night right now, Carrie?
1: If anything, it's sort of all the moving parts of inventory tracking that we need to basically we're building the ship as we're flying it, as we have been with everything else. And we haven't, I don't, I'm sort of me and my team not only have to figure out if it works, how we built it. But then we have to teach people how to interact with it. yeah. And that sort of, that teaching component doesn't exist yet and the system's already live.
0: Yeah, yeah. And education is a long process. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, we have right. to educate ourselves yes. in order to be able to teach it. And that isn't necessarily how these computer projects evolve. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, and last question: What are you doing to take care of yourself right now? Even if it's just one thing—physically, yeah. mental health—you know, because you've got a lot of stress, or yeah. even spiritually. Can mm-hmm. you share one thing that you're doing to to make it easier for yourself every day?
1: Uh, yeah, no, Bridget. Unfortunately, right now that's sort of what's on the back burner, mm-hmm. and it is something that you know I really need to sort of take stock. Um, you know, when I was at AG, that job was stressful but it was something that i knew very well i came over here and it's it's been sort of more screen time more of this sort of database development than i was expecting Mm -hmm. and you know i've never been great at sitting down and taking time and slowing things down so it is something it is a goal for this summer, you know, I know we're the same age and it's about time we sort of,
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. I
1: sort of prioritize yeah. that over getting sort of this done. And, you know, that's, I think if you ask me in a couple months, the answer will be different. Um, but right now it's basically been treading water.
0: Yeah. Well, acknowledgement is the first step. Yeah. So congratulations. I'm on step one. <laughs> You're on step one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll applaud to yeah. that. We'll and you, carry... know, um, <laughs>
1: you know the sort of background of my family. You would think that this would be the forefront of my <laughs> mind. Yes, so.
0: but, hey, I, I know how it works. It's hard. That's why we're talking about it and asking yeah. people because it's bringing attention to it that hopefully, yeah. you know, people will make those positive changes in their life. Well, thanks so much for being with us. That is the end of part three with Carrie to Gear on compliance in this new marketplace. And we wish you the best in all of this stuff, Carrie. I know it's an, a really hard job, and try to step away from that screen every once in a while, even just for a minute or two. Yep. <laughs> all right. Take care.
1: Thanks. You too.
0: Thanks. that'll do it for this episode thanks go out to my creative crew at high fidelity olaf willoughby and shane lynn and to the team at syntax in motion for producing this show a special shout out to will davis my sound engineer thanks to you for listening to us today if you enjoy what you heard subscribe on our website HighFiVT.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts better yet like share rate or leave a comment you can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at com. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there.